As always, it's Darren from Hackjob here. For you guys that haven't listened to the podcast before, I'm the lead account manager here at Hackjob. Today, I'm joined by Elena Agar, founder and talent specialist at Agar Global and managing partner at Ascent. Hey, good, Elena. You okay? Good, good. Good to be with you. Yeah, thank you for uh, attending the podcast. So um, I guess for anyone that hasn't come across your profile before, doesn't know a lot about you, would you be able to just give us, uh, I guess, an elevator pitch of um, a little bit about yourself, what you do and kind of how you've landed in your position? So I come actually from a background of higher education and academia and only in recent years, recent meaning maybe last five years or so, I've transitioned towards learning and development field. And today what I do is, uh, as you mentioned, so I'm a founder of Agar Global Services, where we, we work with institutions and individuals within learning and development. And I also have uh, a startup that I co-founded, which is bestern.co, where we help uh, companies on, with productivity and well-being for their employees. So we're a tech platform designed to help people perform and thrive in their work. Uh, and you, you kind of touched on it, you, that you wear a couple of different hats at the moment. You're also a mentor and a coach for, uh, from our conversations a couple of weeks ago. One of the, the hot topics we're seeing right now in the UK is about productivity. So there's a lot of fears that with everyone working from home, productivity would be, I guess, at an all-time low compared to what you would expect. Um, but I, I think in reality, what we're seeing is that's been proven quite wrong. So what's your feelings about the, the state of productivity and, and mental health, I guess? for people working from home at the moment? And is there any particular trends you're seeing in your own work? Sure, so yeah, absolutely. I think that at this time, it's important to acknowledge also that you know us working from home is not the working from home that we're used to, right? Mm -hmm. So productivity is bound to sort of have an effect and the mental health. And why do I say that? It's because we're not only working from home, we are forced to almost work from home in many cases still around the world. In addition to that, our spouses are working from home. Our kids are studying from home as well. So that, so it's not the, the, the usual working from home when you can go work at a coffee shop you know, or somewhere else. We're kind of bound to our own places, in, at least uh, in many cities around the world still. So I think that's important to understand that it's not a regular sort of working from home situation. And that, in fact, uh, is not something we're prepared for. And when, if you're an individual who's used to sort of you know, going to the office and having, being in that environment, you know, you're, maybe you're productive. So it's not everybody that's able to sort of lead their own day being at home. And again, you have so many distractions. So it's natural that we might be less productive. We may or may not. And that is something that uh, companies are starting to pay attention to, at least uh, the, those that we work with in the Middle East, because this is essential and it's completely tied to well-being and mental health. And why do I say that? Because when you are having anxiety, when you're feeling stressed, when you feel maybe isolated, if you're at home alone, if you don't have the family around you, or maybe when you do have the family around you, you're so distracted and it has its own stress. It's very difficult for you to then get into that uh, working space, that working mindset and actually produce good work. So this is definitely something that um, companies are starting to pay attention to more and more. And we see a lot of well-being initiatives uh, specifically focusing on mental health support being implemented across board. I think what's quite interesting is both of us work in, in cities that are highly populated. Um, so if you're working in like a Dubai or working in London, San Francisco, probably Sydney to some extent, you never expected that you were going to be working from home. So I know within my own circumstance, luckily I don't have 
children at the moment, so it's less been affected because of that. But I don't have enough room in my flat to have a, like an office set up. So at the moment, I'm essentially working from a sofa. Like we it probably won't be footage of this, but anyone that's listened to the podcast before and has seen a couple of episodes that um, that I presented, I sit on a a sofa, and this is literally where I work from. So I think not everyone is lucky enough to have somewhere that is like set up for their their own positions. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's another challenge. And it's interesting you mentioned because what's happened now in terms of productivity. So we're actually, because we're not able to sort of even disconnect. So we've already had this problem. So if you look at some statistics, um, so we have gotten better over the last 20 years as, you know, as a whole in terms of like employees, in terms of not taking too many uh, sick leaves. But what's happening in organizations today is called presentism. So if, we, if those who were pre-COVID and now returning back to the office, what companies experience is presentism, which is basically where the person shows up to work. Um, and this could be also working from home. You show up, you're there, but you're not really there because you're, so, you're dealing with mental health challenges. So again, stress, anxiety, worries, maybe financial worries. Am I going to have a job by the end of the year? If people are being laid off, how does that look like for me, et cetera? And then at the same time, now working from home, especially, we have the, the impact of leaveism where we're not able to disconnect. We're continuously working. And I was just reading actually yesterday, I think they're saying that our working day has extended now by on average 48 minutes, even though we've cut back on commute yeah. time. We've cut back on, you know, maybe going to those meetings and our meetings are less now than from what, how we started in the beginning of COVID, but still our working day has extended by 48 minutes. So that can cause itself a challenge on mental health as well. I think what's quite interesting is that uh, I sometimes feel a bit of a guilt because I'll start working at a seven o'clock now, which would be my commute into work. So I'm like, I used to be working right now, so I might as well start working and it might get to like, five half five which usually would be when i when i finish work but um at about quarter five five o'clock i'm now thinking right i've done all my tasks for the day wait what else can i do when in reality i've worked the same hours i would if i traveled into the office or probably a little bit more as you've just said those 48 minutes but in reality there's a guilt that you think i'm still working from home other people might be working i need to continue to work whereas burnout is a real thing at the moment i think that a lot a lot of people are seeing that but if you just keep going and keep going and keep going without uh, an outlet, it's very hard to, to keep the same productivity going. You're correct. And this is where the senior leadership really needs to set an example, essentially, and really take notice. So first of all, there's a couple of things you can recognize. So you as an individual can use these uh, next set of sort of signs to see if you are on the verge of, you know, maybe being burnt out, whether due to presentism or leaveism. Again, as, as an individual, if you feel your level of mistakes have sort of gone up or as a leader, you're, you're seeing that your team members, the, those that are normally usually, you know, quite spot on, if they started to making more mistakes than normal, if their productivity has gone down, maybe the quality of their work has gone down, maybe they're not able to manage their time or if you yourself are not able to manage your time, maybe you're continuously feeling tired and exhausted, maybe you're feeling a little bit even moody and aggressive. All of these are uh, signs of presentism. At the same time, behaviors such as, you know, having that attitude, right? Uh, not, uh, not being able to disconnect from work, not being able to take time off. Uh, that is part of the signs of leaveism. So you need to first recognize as for yourself and also as a leader and others to, to see if your staff is experiencing that. 
because that could be the the some of the mental well-being that they they're challenged with at the moment and also as a leader we need to set an example if you are a manager who's sending emails at 8 p.m at night or 6 a.m in the morning right you are setting a standard that hey i'm working and whether you need it or not your employees will feel that that guilt that you're talking about to say Oh my gosh, my manager is sending out emails at 8 p.m. at night or 9 p.m. at night. And, you know, I feel guilty if I don't. And also you have, we have this fear around our job security as well, right? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So you're even more sort of influenced to stay connected. So I think this is where leadership really needs to take notice. And if you have the urge, the absolute urge to send that email, schedule it. Outlook has beautiful features these days. Schedule your emails, you know, if you need to write them down, but don't hit send if it's after the working hours. Um, so I think, uh, I think from a leadership perspective, they're probably one of the biggest influencers when it comes to making sure their teams do disconnect. That's such an interesting point. So I've got a team that, that I look after at HackerJob. And I'll be honest, I'm one of those people that if something's on my mind, I often will send uh, that Slack message at night. And my expectation isn't that they answer, but I guess to some extent you're putting the pressure on that, okay, they've reached out to me. They may have said don't reply to the morning, but mm -hmm. when, when, my, when my boss does the same thing, I know that he doesn't expect something to come back, but I feel like the needs go back. So that's a really interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and uh, there's two responsible parties here. You know, we have the organizations and the leadership and I also we have us as individuals. And as much as we, you know, we have the expectations that employee employers should take care, you know, help and support our well-being. It's not always the case. So I always say, you know, two responsible parties, you're absolutely one of them. So as an individual, you need to find a way to maintain that balance for yourself. And it's not easy to do so. And I think, there's so much information about how to maintain that well-being, and I don't want to go into kind of these, you know, very typical suggestions that are out there. But what I just want to uh, people to sort of take notice is that find what works for you. There's so many tips and tools out there. From I don't know, meditation works for some people; it doesn't work for others, right? Exercise works for some people; it doesn't work for others. Maybe you're not able to go exercise. You know, maybe cooking is, is your thing. Maybe you're just excited. I don't know. Maybe you want to talk to your plants. Whatever works for you. Like, you just need to find what is it that works for you to help you disconnect. And create that schedule. That nobody can do for you. Your boss and anybody else cannot come to your house and say, you know, st start disconnecting. They can influence it, but it's up to you to say, you know what, it's 5 p.m. I'm going to shut down my computer and I'm going to make a point to go do something else. And something that we do with Besser and our company is we implement the tiny habits. So this is our methodology. We, we look into how can we make small changes in our days? We're not saying, you know, start practicing mindfulness and start exercising because it makes you feel good and you feel relaxed and start writing down things and, and connecting with loved ones. You don't need to do all of that. Find that one thing, just one point that makes you feel good. What are the things that are, make you feel good as an individual on a daily basis that you can do at the comfort of your home or, or you know, if you're able to go out, of course. So that one thing that just makes you excited for 10 minutes of your day, that's it. 10 minutes a daily practice of something sort of that adds benefit to you is, is all it really takes. And it's that simple. So I, I guess that's, that's kind of covered the, the burnout aspect of the working from home. Is there any uh, hacks or tips that you would give on productivity? 
uh, to people that may be working from home at the moment? Sure. So that's something also we do quite a bit of research uh, in our work. And what I can tell you is scheduling time. So when it comes to time management, you know, often we, we, we start saying, well, we don't have time. And it's not about having time, it's making time for, for your priorities. So a lot of times we spend procrastinating and to avoid that and to get into that flow state. So the flow state of mind is when you're just so focused and you've kind of working, you maybe even sometimes forget to eat and time is passing and you're really productive. And to get into the flow state, what helps is having routine. So, and productivity in general, it helps having a routine. So maintaining your routine, if you are still working from home, maintaining a routine that, listen, if you wake up at 7 a.m., you keep waking up at 7 a.m., you know, and if, you know, if that means you used to go to the gym and now you're not able to, you do the workout at home, if you can. It can be sit-ups, push-ups, right? It doesn't need to be a full-on cardio. So sticking to your routine is essential. When it comes to sitting down and doing your tasks, of course, understand your energy levels, right? What are the tasks that are going to uh, take more energy from you? And when do you feel most energetic? A lot of people push, you know, the whole morning person aspect. It depends. Some people are more night owls. Some people are morning. Find that time that works for you and break it into 20, 30 minutes increments where you just focus on that specific task. Even making something into your calendar, into your outlook, and actually making sure that you don't do anything else at that time. Another thing that works quite well is we tend to get overwhelmed when we have a lot of things happening, a lot of tasks. But if you go step by step and write down how long, how many minutes will this task actually take me, you realize it's not that long. It might be 10 minutes, 20 minutes, but in our minds, it's so heavy. So just going into and writing these, these things down really helps. And uh, of course, for some people, it works also using tools. So, you know, where you are disconnecting your phone, uh, there's different apps uh, where you can disconnect your phone from anybody reaching you. For me, for example, what I do is I'm, if I need to focus, I usually shut down my Outlook because otherwise I just have emails popping up. And yep. it's one of the biggest distractors uh, for people in general. Um, surprisingly, uh, usually our colleagues are our biggest distractors. 100%. <laughs> so, so this is where you need to learn to manage. So if you, if your colleagues typically reach out to you on WhatsApp, then mute that and wh- while you need to get some important work done. If you're in the office, you need to put those boundaries. You need to put those boundaries and say, listen, I'm not able to have a chat right now, etc." So it's up to you to set those boundaries, uh, whether you're at home or at work, just understand where your distraction is coming from. And what is it distracting you from? Yeah, that, that's been one of my biggest takeaways while working from home. The, uh, the ability to add walls, I guess, or, or add some separation between colleagues and other things that are coming in. So I think in an office, you can get away with a little bit more because people can see you're in the middle of something. Whereas working from home, unless you've got scheduled time out in your diary, that I, I now put a busy slot for two hours each day, which is like my admin time. During that period, I'm going through all my admin, making sure everything's done. And because it's busy in my diary, people know not to reach out to me during that period. But I think a lot of time, if your diary is free and people can't see what you're working on at that point, it's very hard to uh, for your colleagues to know, okay, it's not a good time to, to reach out to Darren, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think making, I, I, I think creating those boundaries is key. Uh, and I, I love that you picked up on that most distractions often come from colleagues rather than from clients or yeah, from social media like we think and it's not <laughs> no no it's, it's really not uh, i probably spend two minutes a day on on linkedin whereas I, I at one point i probably would have thought it's like half an hour to an hour a day um but it's really that people reach out to me on 
Slack and I'm answering questions that in reality I probably could have waited 45 minutes to an hour to answer. They're not major things, but as soon as you respond to someone, you then start getting in a dialogue and then it's very hard to end that dialogue. Um, so, no, I, I agree with that point wholeheartedly. And, you know, it's essentially just creating new habits for ourselves. So it's about, listen, what is looking at also what's not working right now. And I think that's what we forget. We try to fix things instead of just first getting to the root cause of why are we not productive? Because sometimes we say we're not productive because maybe it's our colleagues. Maybe it is, but maybe it's because you feel overwhelmed. And so it's, it's paralyzing you, right, from doing the quality work that you're used to. So you need to address that issue. And, you know, are you not productive because you're not prioritizing enough? So again, the root cause needs to be identified before we're able to solve the actual problem because otherwise we're just putting a Band-Aid on a broken leg and it doesn't work. So I think that's the key. And also same for, for leadership, for teams, for their teams. A lot of times we, we have a team member who's not performing and all of a sudden we say, oh, this person has an attitude or, or this person's not producing what we expect them to produce. Instead, we need to reframe and say, I wonder what's happening with them because it could be something else. It's not that they have this attitude. Usually the root cause is something else. And with this current market, I would be very cautious as an employer to, to just identify those, those pieces in their employees. If somebody is not as productive, get to the bottom of why, because it's less often about the fact that they're just slacking off. It's much more about that they need support at this time, either with their mental well-being or perhaps they just don't know how to work from home. Maybe they have a situation at home that is not helping them or that makes them challenge. So it's always something else that's at the root of the of the problem yeah i i think that word support is key at the moment um because support in an office you know as a manager that you've always got you can watch someone and you can see someone's mood and you can see how they're feeling and you can tell when someone's feeling stressed or 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 someone maybe walks into your office and they're slouching a little bit and you can tell that they're not in the best mood and you can pick up on that it's very difficult to pick up someone's tone over a phone call because it, you it can be hidden a lot more than it can when you're watching someone during a day and you can see their their mood uh, so I, I think support offering the support not when they need to the support but recognizing a little bit up front is always a good thing to do because when you reach out to someone and it's that last moment and they're already in, in crisis mode it's very hard to pick them out of it whereas if you're noticing early or, or you're giving them the, the opportunity to say hey look if you need any support during this period please do reach out to me I'm, I've always got time in my diary to speak to you I think that's what managers probably need to look, do a little bit more A very important point on that is that oftentimes uh, employees are afraid to speak up about mental health challenges. And uh, I'm not sure about different parts of the world, but I know in the Middle East, it's still very taboo and it's still looked down upon. And it's, I think it's true across many, many different regions, but uh, it's still looked down upon to, to say, listen, I just need a personal day. I need, I need a mental well-being day in the U S we have that. I think there's like a personal day you can take. Um, but I think that as leaders, they also need to be able to create the psychological safety, meaning that people are okay to speak up. And in order for them to be okay to speak up, you as a leader need to check in with them and, and to make it normal to talk about these things, especially in this time. So every Zoom call, like what I recommend for management, every time in the beginning of a Zoom call, you know, unless you're able to create that one-on-one time, which I also recommend to have that conversation with your uh, your team members to say, listen, how are you doing? You know, let's forget yeah. about work for two minutes. Just tell me how you're doing. You can do it on one-on-one. You can do it in groups. 
because you're you're then uh, and then you can also share of course so being vulnerable as a leader is also very important because then that's how you slowly make it uh, okay to talk about these things and you create trust and uh, without trust it's very difficult to to then you know get our employees to speak up yeah and i, I think your background is really interesting in this regard because you come from a higher education background but higher education doesn't often teach you a lot of these skills it's not something that you, you don't get taught like time management and like how to to work for a stressful situation and how to motivate yourself i thought education and higher education at manchester was incredible when i was there but i never learned half the skills i've had to i've had to use during my professional life you're absolutely right about that as well uh and this is true across board I've worked in higher education. I've traveled to 11 different countries and more uh, on different trips uh, uh, to visit universities around the world and delivering sessions. I can tell you that this is a, a standard thing. I do see an improvement in this area. I do see that universities are starting to understand, especially with this. I would watch this space very carefully because with everything that's happening and the education being under question at the moment in terms of the value that it's bringing and now you know, are you still going to be paying the same amount if you're learning online? So you're getting an online degree. So there's a lot of talk about it. And, um, and again, you know, the higher education is there to stay, but I think it's uh, universities and institutions really need to start focusing as well on how can we uh, become competitive in this space and what's going to play out for a lot of people choosing to pursue their higher education is, am I going to be learning the skills of time management? Am I going to be learning creativity? And not just learning theory, but actually putting it into practice. So, and a final point here, if you think about it, 67 years ago, we used to study at a, at a school during the day, and then we'd go do an apprenticeship. So if we're starting to be a doctor or a lawyer, we, we, we learn a little bit of theory, and the same day we go and we spend our time actually going through the experience, yep. right? And that's how, that's how we learned. And now it's pure classroom theory. Uh, you know, business administration is still the most popular major, which is mind blowing to me because it's, it doesn't teach you business necessarily. Yeah. So it's like, what, you know, what are we teaching the future generations? And yes, we can teach, continue teaching that if that's the choice, but we need to in, include other pieces, which is emotional intelligence. How do you deal with your emotions? How do you manage what's happening? How do you manage unexpected circumstances? How do you continue learning to maintain your competitive edge, which yep. is another challenge a lot of people are having right now. They are, they've been stuck in one industry, very specialized, and they don't know where to place themselves. So imagine people that are working for hospitality, aviation, they've been in the same industry for so long. How do you now pivot? That is something universities need to incorporate in their deliveries. Yeah, it's interesting you picked up on business administration because I come from business management background at university. And um, the courses that I probably have utilized the most weren't the courses really associated with it. I had a, um, a minor that was like entrepreneurship and one which was more like accounting and finance. And those weren't the ones that I actually went to university to learn on, but they're the ones I've utilized most in my life. I feel like a lot of the stuff when it comes to uh, sort of like operations management and a few other courses, they didn't really add that much value to, to, to how I work. They gave me theories and all these kind of things, but they didn't really get me ready for, for life. And I agree with your, your point on 50 years ago, you would have gone and worked for a lawyer's firm and you would have practiced a lot of this uh, on the job. Whereas I think now, at least in the UK, I don't know uh, how you've seen things. I know you've worked uh, across multiple continents, 
but at least in the UK, it's very hard to get an internship during your um, during what we consider to be like your gap year. So if you're doing a three-year course, you take four years and take a gap year. It's very, very competitive. So a lot of time, even if you do get a gap year, they're working on stuff that you're not necessarily that interested in, but it's something that it means that when you do your final year, you can come back to that and say, hey, I've got a job already. But it's often not within a field that you really wanted to move into. I didn't actually do a gap year. I, I just did three years straight. But my, I know my, um, my partner did HR. And nothing wrong with HR, but that's not where she saw her journey going. She was actually business and marketing. So I think that's my hope for the future, that we can move more towards some of this practical going with the theory as well. I would love to see higher education challenge a little bit more about are you getting your, your people to leave with a full understanding of what the world is like? Because you go from education to education to education where as you go through school, and you're not really prepared until you're dumped into the world. And it's like, okay, this is the big wide world to survive. I'm really curious to see also how this is going to change because so higher education is here to stay, you know, but it's not for everybody. That's what I'm saying. There should be no, alternative options, alternative options, you know, and there's a lot of trade schools and things like that that have been popping up lately. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. But higher education also, one of the biggest benefits of it is the fact that we get to interact with other people, international people from different parts of the world, right? So a lot of Western countries, a lot, a huge percentage of their profits and their students come from other countries. And that social experience is what higher education is about. That's what we learn is we learn that versus, you know, the actual ability to do a particular job. And with all of this gone at the moment and, you know, questionable when it's going to come back to the normal, I'm curious how universities are going to adjust. And again, then what is the selling point there? If we are now, you know, go on Udemy or Coursera's or a ton of other online courses and learn the theory. And if there's that social piece missing, how are we going to differentiate? And one of the things that we're actually doing on the Agar side is we're, we're partnering up with another company here to do uh, to create job shadowing opportunities for high school students. So to make sure that they go into the right major for the right reasons, just to give them a glimpse of what that life of a lawyer is like, of a marketing person, of a sales manager, right? So what is that like before they go into a major they have no idea about, and that may be irrelevant by the time they graduate, yep. which that's like it's a vicious cycle of uh, lack of talent in the market for this reason. Again, I agree with your point on um, on the social aspect of higher learning being something that people don't really consider that much. But I actually would say that higher, the, the social aspect is probably what I gain the most from. Because I, I, grew up, um, I grew up in the southwest of, it, of England in a small market town. And everyone either still lives and works in like Bath, Bristol, or they um, work in like our local supermarket. There's not a lot of diversity to the, uh, to the, to the people I went to school with. So I think that the, the ability that I had when going to Manchester was I got to socialize with people that I probably wouldn't have met otherwise. Unfortunately, um, and I'm seeing a change when I go home now, but when I grew up in, in Chippenham in the Southwest, it was a very single culture kind of town. Everyone came from very similar backgrounds. They all, uh, their families mostly had grown up in and around that area. So a lot of the thoughts, feelings, and views were, were singular. So I think what was great about moving to Manchester was that it's multicultural and I got to learn from people that I probably would have never had a chance to. And I love what you're saying about how you're gonna, your, your business is looking at creating opportunities to shadow people before you go into a major. 
So I think looking back, I probably would have done a different major than what I did. It was just uh, business management was it, what everyone did. So yeah. I went into that. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a doctor. Everyone's yeah. doing business management. Let's do business management. And I <laughs> had no idea what it was. Listen, I changed my major five times. And I ended up sticking with, uh, it took me six years to get my bachelor's. And I, I ended up sticking with uh, international relations because I said, you know what? What I really want to do doesn't really exist in the major. So this is the closest I can get to it. Yeah. So that's what I did. So, um, so I think there's a big gap, of course, as we all know. And uh, again, we're, we're really working towards closing it. So, but it's going to be, it's going to be sped up just like everything else has been sort of accelerated with this COVID situation. I think we're going to see a lot of changes in higher ed. Is there any tips you would give from a leadership perspective of what you've seen of how leaders can recognize when someone's getting a little bit burnt out? I know that I spoke about it, but it'd be interesting to get your view too. Absolutely. So I think that some of the things that I've mentioned, so if you see that lack of productivity, if you see the person is the best way to see it again is that face-to-face -face interaction. So as you mentioned, it's very difficult to pick it up on tone of voice. Number one, before you can even pick those things up, you need to have the strong emotional awareness, meaning emotional intelligence. So a lot of leaders are not trained on this for better or for worse. So some of us pick that up uh, naturally as we, as we work, but there are a lot of managers and positions. They never got the training on how to be a manager. A big, big part of management is being able to understand other people, connecting with them and understanding what they might be going through. So emotional intelligence is, is the base for everything. Uh, so again, I think first we need to, to know, to reflect on ourselves as a manager and do we actually understand ourselves in order for us to then to understand other people, which is the base of emotional intelligence. Yep. So once we have that, then making the time to get on that Zoom call, to see the person face-to-face -face and essentially build that uh, interpersonal relationship because otherwise it's very difficult to tell you there's yes you can look at the number of mistakes they're making if you have an employee who's super productive on top of their game and all of a sudden their productivity or quality went down that should be a red flag for you that something is off of course if, if, if a person is again emailing at 9 p.m at night that's a question mark as well even if you're not promoting it yourself if your employees are emailing that's a red flag you need to have a chat with that person say listen I love it that you're such a hard worker, but let's talk about it. Yeah, okay. um, so I, I think that being a role model, first and foremost, is step number one, uh, practicing emotional intelligence. And then also having those calls one-to-one -one will probably tell you quite a bit. But again, you need to also reflect very strongly and see, does your team trust you? Meaning, are you the kind of leader that people uh, do speak up in your meetings? Or is it once you start speaking or once you appear, everybody just kind of goes quiet? You yep. can sense it. Some managers cannot. This is why, you know, you invite external support for that. But uh, I think we all sort of have that idea uh, of what kind of leader we are and how our team is reacting to us. So I think that's important. And that psychological safety is very, very important in order for you to recognize if your team is struggling and for your team to even speak up if you do recognize it. You see two types of leaders out there in the market. You see the leaders that, uh, that bring everyone with them on the journey. So they can say, look, come on with me on this journey and I'll get you to where you want to go. But you've also still got a subset with the market that is very much that Ford uh, and General Motors leaders of 100 years ago. Like it hasn't gone away. These leaders that lead through fear and essentially breaking people's backs to the point that they can't continue and they burn out. For me, 
it's it's less so uh, where it is a problem because you're uh, ruining someone's careers in some way that they could completely move away from what they want to do. But at the same time, it, it's just a lack of empathy towards someone's situation. Um, because like like you, we've kind of picked up a couple of times, everyone's situation is different. Don't assume that every, everyone can work the same way. Like, like I've said at the start, I don't have children. My partner works uh, long hours for the police. So I'll often work weird hours. But my expectations would never be that, that my team would work the same hours I do because I work those hours because of my own circumstances. But if you've got a, a large team, don't assume that uh, one person can do the same as another person. They might have children. Uh, they might have a partner that is working weird hours, uh, they might be looking after family members, whatever is going on. You need to have that personal relationship with people that work within your team. Um, don't just be the leader that you don't have, that doesn't have an association with, with team members. Absolutely, I think, I think it's very important to, again, it's just like leading by example and, and setting that example and being mindful that, and I think it's just taking a moment and to take a moment and say, you know, Am I sending emails at 7 p.m. at night? You know, just take a moment and reflect like at your past week and say, what have I done that could send the wrong message to my team? And what can I do differently that could send the message that I do care? Or even schedule in your calendar like every week, you know, five minutes, check up with your team. Have that interpersonal uh, communication with them. And I think you spot on with not everybody is the same way. And for some people, you know what? Hey, beautiful, working from home, thumbs up. For other people, it's like the worst thing that could have happened to them. It's really different for everybody, which is why as a leader, you really need to emphasize and to connect with each individual team member to understand their situation and to understand their values. What are they, what is happening? What are they valuing right now? Um, which connects to everything that they do essentially in the work. People's values change over time. So someone's values when they join the business might be very different three years on. So take the time to understand how the values are adapting and how they're how they're changing over time. Absolutely. And especially with younger generations. So that's an important point as well, is that if you have younger generations working with you, um, they typically are experiencing higher stress. I think it's like by 40%. I'm, I don't remember the statistic, but it, then, then their counterparts of Generation X. And so, so the millennials are experiencing much higher stress and anxiety for different reasons. And a, a big part of that as well is that uh, millennials grew up in this world where um, they seek something beyond the paycheck. Although paycheck is usually not the top uh, sort of thing for them, uh, for many people, but for millennials especially, it's way down on the list. And when they're working for a company that is aligned with their values, this is what really drives them. So if you have changes in your company, like you know restructuring that's happening with so many companies, and all of a sudden their values are misaligned with the company values, you might be on the verge of losing that person to, to some, some other company that they're more aligned with. Um, and they also grew up in a world where um, things are sort of uh, moving very fast, right? So they're connected to technology. They may or may not have gone through ups and downs of the, the job market like other generations, the older generation. So it's very new to them in general. And this whole having purpose is very important to the younger generations today. So, you know, how is their company sort of changing the world? How is their company contributed to the purpose and the values that they have, which if they're not aligned, this will cause a lot of stress on them. I guess as a, as a final point, um, I don't want to use the, the C word because it's a, it's a dirty word in the market at the moment. Um, 
But what are you expecting to change in the in the job market or the recruitment market in probably the next 12, 18 months? Like, have you got any predictions for what you think will change? On the individual side, I think what's going to happen is we're going to see a lot of people who are going to be looking more as T professionals. So developing them as a T professional, meaning that if you were before very specialized in a particular area, uh, so unless you're like a doctor, of course, or some kind of very specific engineer, it's different. But for many of us that are coming in from finance or from marketing, HR, et cetera, these kind of roles, I think that a lot of individuals are going to realize that they need to diversify their skill set. So you're going to have a lot of individuals that might be changing. There's going to be a lot of career changers in the market. Um, some by force, some is just, it's just their choice. On the recruitment side, I foresee, and I'm hoping, I'm, I really hope for this, is that companies are going to be much more open to those career changers, number one, much more open to look beyond an individual CV and looking at other skills of that person. So not always looking at, do you have that specific industry experience? Because we know that, you know, this, this check in the boxes is just simply, it doesn't work. It does not guarantee good talent and good talent is very difficult to find. Part of the problem is that the HR managers that are in HR positions are not always trained to recognize talent. They're not always the right fit for that role to begin with. And so, to be able to, to have the right HR person and the HR team who's able to recognize the talent beyond checking up the boxes, I think is essential. So I think, again, always there's two responsible parties. We have the individual and the companies. On the individual side, it's our responsibility to make sure we have a variety of skill sets to offer and experience and being creative with, with how we can gain that experience. And what I always tell individuals, sometimes a step backwards means two steps forward in the future. So not being afraid to take a step back if you are a career change seekers. And for recruiters to, again, emphasize with the, with the candidates to get to know the candidates as much as possible. Of course, we have hundreds and thousands. But again, to look at the candidate beyond the piece of paper that is their CV. And I, I think the, the point on spotting talent not talent for a particular role is really interesting my hope is that companies are going to have to make culture in this period uh, there's no doubt about it but my hope is that companies won't cut the talent that they feel could cross train in a different area i think that talent is, talent is is talent regardless of where you have them in the business if you can train them to bring them into another side of the business why would you go back to market when it's going to take you two months to train someone up that you know it's been with that company for two years, three years, four years, and it's been a great member of the company. Because it's not just the it's not just the talent you're losing, it's the cultural aspects of that person. Absolutely. And we know it's very expensive to hire and fire people. It's very expensive. And you're right, if you have a if you have a talent in one department, you're able to train them and retrain them, they're gonna be required to do it anyway. Reskilling is a must for everybody. It's just now we're gonna be reskilling a little bit more often, I think, with everything that's happening. At the same time, again, as individuals, we need to be open to becoming a little bit more diversified in our skill sets. And we need to see what's coming next. Where can we add value to our company as well? So it's not always people that are looking for a job, but if you're looking to stay within your company, how can you help your company in this new way of work that we're moving into? 
So I guess we've, we've got to the end of, of the pod. Firstly, thank you so much for appearing on it. It's been really, really insightful. As always, I think that the audience probably will have questions they want to redirect to you that maybe mean you touched on, but we didn't go into full depth on. So what's the best way for, for anyone to reach out to you? Uh, sure. So LinkedIn is a great way to connect. Um, uh, they can also check out our website, which is bestern.co. So it's B-E-S-S-E-R-N.co. We have our contact information there. So if people want to reach out to myself or the Hagjob team, as always, if you reach out to hello at hackajob.co, or you can reach out to me directly at darren at hackajob.co. And take it from there. Thank you again for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you.